Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Art of the Float. We are catching up with Carlos again and seeing where his life is at. And we even talk a little bit about KPIs, key performance indicators, and just start diving into that. We're going to deep dive into that a little bit more in the coming weeks to help your business. Um, a few things before we get started. One is Helmbot. As you know, as I know, it kicks butt. Uh, I think most people in the float industry are using Helmbot. It only makes sense. It does so much. Um, but, uh, you know, the best thing we can do for them if you are enjoying it is leaving a review. And so we have two links on our show page for this episode so that you can go to there, click on the link, and give them a positive review. Uh, it just takes a couple minutes. I was in there and, and um, you know, left, left, left my glowing review. Again, find the show notes page to check that out. And if you aren't already using Helmbot, helmbot.com is where you want to go. Uh, get a free tour. Get uh, get a demo. It, they're, they're just making it so easy <laughs> at this point. Also, um, Dr. Feinstein has released new research. It's really exciting. Uh, we have our first images uh, using an fMRI machine to view the brain pre and post float. That's the first time that's ever happened. Uh, so be sure to follow him on social media. He's on all the things, including LinkedIn even. I'm not even on there. And uh, you can get updates on what's going on there. There's also going to be a big Zoom call that uh, will be hopefully happening in May, and that's going to cover uh, the Float Research Collective and how exactly to put it together, how to market it, uh, fund it, all of that stuff. So uh, we'll really appreciate your input and your expertise for that. And, uh, and of course, thanks so much to Isopod, both of our sponsors. Thanks so much for supporting us. Thanks to Isopod. They're making the incredible Isopod float tank, which we got one for our float center. And then when we were replacing an older tank, just had to get another Isopod because our customers love them so much. They're just a super large, spacious, clean looking float tank that as soon as people see, they take a sigh of relief because it's way more spacious than they anticipated. It just makes everything look so friendly. It uh, makes the whole float experience look like a friendly thing that you could really crawl into and, and let go in, which is what we want. i-sopod.com, i-sopod.com is where you want to go. Let them know that Art of the Flow sent you. All right, I think we should start this episode. Welcome back to another episode of Art of the Float, where float centers thrive. My name is Dylan. I co-own the float shop with my lovely wife in Portland, Oregon. We own the float shop together. And before I started this podcast, I honestly did not know what KPI meant. My name is Gloria Morris, and I am the owner of Float 60 uh, in the Chicago area. And before starting this podcast, I definitely was exposed to KPIs just being in the business world and uh, working in corporate America. We uh, measured key performance indicators for a long time. This is Drew from New Hampshire Float in New Hampshire, and I also had no clue what KPIs were before I got into the float world. And Kim Hannon, I own Sukino Float Center in Salt Cave in Southern Indiana with my husband and like Gloria, KPIs were a big deal in my world. I actually worked in the human resources department. And we were responsible for helping to establish KPIs for every single role in the entire organization, training people on what they were, how to achieve them, how to create action plans, and um, how to use that in performance reviews and everything. So I, oh, I was all in the KPIs. 
Wow. I promised Drew and I do provide value on this earth. We do offer. (laughs) (laughs) We'll keep digging. Um, Why are we talking about KPIs? Because we are, this is kind of our our soft launch of talking about KPIs. We're doing a little bit of a series um, over the course of a few weeks here. Um, or even a couple, couple months here, every other episode, we'll, we'll be dipping into KPIs. And as a bit of a soft launch, we're going to probably explain what KPI means. And uh, we're bringing Carlos on back onto the show. Carlos has closed his float center. He's been on before and talked about his process. And um, we're going to catch up with him, hear his story about life after float, and, and then dive a little bit more into um, the key performance indicators of what was going on with his business and things to look out for in your business. So you can either make the decision to close down or, or perhaps make a change that, so that you don't need to. Carlos, thank you so much for joining us. How are you this evening? Yeah, good evening, everyone. Thanks for having me back. Thanks so much for being back. How is life after running a float center? Uh, life after the float center closing is good. Um, I can honestly say that uh, making that decision to close the center um, has been positive for me. Um, I miss the float center, mm. but uh, you know, getting to do some things that had kind of slipped away uh, when I was running it is really nice to get back to. Nice. Is is that work stuff or personal? A little bit of both. So um, when I left it before, uh, I was working a full time job on top of running my float center. Um, and I'd put a lot of hobbies and family and friends to the side. Um, and now I'm re-engaging with people to an extent uh, with COVID. Right. Too. So, yeah, uh, we're still in COVID uh, since the last time I was on this podcast. But, yeah, I'm re-engaging Isn't in a lot of crazy? things. That, yeah. So it's nice to re-engage with things that kind of slipped to the side. Awesome. Well, I have to make an observation. You seem... Uh, you know, I don't want to say like lighter, but you seem calm and like your face doesn't look stressed at all. I mean, yeah. is that, like, is that Carlos, accurate? Do you, Carlos am I looks right? good. I wish this you was really a video do. podcast right now because yeah. Carlos is looking sharp. Looks yeah. yeah, so I can actually speak to that. So, um, <laughs> you know, since the float has actually closed, I was able to do a lot more things for myself. Um, so into the fall. Um, I was able to focus on school. I had gone back to school, so school is good. Uh, my other job, good. Um, and then I was able to go camping. So, um, you know, with COVID, the isolation of being out with, uh, you know, a small pod of people uh, was nice. So I was able to do that. Um, snowboarding in the winter with the snow that we had. Um, and really the big thing um, that you might have noticed is, I actually lost like 20 pounds. Yeah. Um, I that's, am doing that's it. Lighter. That's, that's lighter. it. I, and literally I didn't even lighter. mean it that way, but you look great. You <laughs> look you great. Go. Congratulations. So literally uh, lighter. Um, and I'm actually doing a lot of ultra running. So, wow. Um, so I've switched my focus. Um, I've got my first ultra race uh, in May. So oh I gosh. run every day from you know, Tell five people miles. what that means. Oh yeah, please do. Yeah, so ultra running is essentially um, a race that's longer than a marathon. So uh, 26.2 miles. Um, the 50K I'm gonna do is about 31 miles. Um, and then later in the summer, I'll do a 50 miler. 
Oh my God. Um, so we'll see if I get up to a hundred this year, but uh, I just kind of got into it. Uh, my girlfriend, she's a big runner. She comes from a running family. Um, we didn't really have anything to do, right? Um, I'm a big huh. soccer player, but I need people to play with. <laughs> so COVID didn't let that happen. Yeah. So I just kind of hit the trails. We got a lot of cool trails around oh, here. So great. I just great. run, run, run. And it's been really therapeutic, honestly. And um, I think it's actually been meditative. Um, so the loss of how I was using the float um, now has jumped over to running. So I still get a similar effect uh, just doing a, a different activity. So yeah, it's been really nice. Well, congratulations. You look fantastic. Yeah. And you know, just to level set for the audience, tell people where your float center was, what the name of it, because I'm sure there's going to be plenty of people who may not have heard the first episode and don't know you. Yeah. So uh, yeah, just to kind of rehash that, um, I'm from Los Alamos, New Mexico. My float center was Float Los Alamos. Um, and up to our closure, we had almost been open five years. Uh, that would have been five years, November 2020. Uh, we had a two-take center, um, and we only did floating. Um, we had a little bit of uh, side retail with um, CBD. Um, but other than that, we were just float only. Um, and let's see here where I left it at. We were doing a final push to kind of relaunch the float center. Um, and then that got derailed by COVID-19. Um, and then we just kind of let it go. So... Uh, we ended up closing. Our last float was on August 1st, uh, 2020. And also a little more in case you didn't listen to the last episode. Um, you did open the float center with your wife at the time as well. Um, and that was also part of the decision making. Is that correct? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So what happened is we opened it together um, through the whole process of five years, we actually ended up getting divorced and, um, we did that whole thing. Um, and then I went with, uh, bankruptcy. Uh, I finished that in December of 2020. Um, so that was my personal bankruptcy tied to the LLC of the float center. Okay. So that got discharged, um, late 2020. Um, so it was just kind of a rapid, um, uh, I guess, closure. So uh, float center first, bankruptcy next, into the new year thereafter. <laughs> new year, new you. Um, do yeah. you find that having the title of bankruptcy over your name, does it feel that way? Or are you able to you know, persevere pretty, pretty easily? Is it just a different style of navigation? How has that impacted you? So one thing I've learned about bankruptcy is it's more or less just a naughty word. Um, okay. A lot of people go into it really freaking out, uh, thinking it's the end of the, you know, the end of the road, uh, you know, but in reality, it's, it's just a, a an opportunity to restructure your life um, with less uh, money burdens and concerns. So um, for me, I mean, yeah, you end up having your debt discharged, which is, you know, weight off your shoulder. Um, you end up having like ruined credit, but you can um, rebuild your credit and there's ways to do that. Um, but ultimately, I mean, it, it provides you that relief um, if you're under a lot of debt and stress. Um, so, I mean, my suggestion to everyone is, you know, don't quite look at it like the end of the road for yourself. I mean, for me, it was scary at first, uh, but 
once you're in it and once you're on the other side, it's actually really positive. And it's actually probably the best decision I've made in the last couple of years is, you know, I could, you know, float and, and barely keep afloat, if you will, or I could just make that decision that it's not working um, and then just go in a different direction. So, yeah, so, so it's been a relief for me. Awesome. So given our topic in the series that we're going to launch with a couple of episodes, you know, we're trying to identify different metrics that really, you know, kind of give you red flags that, you know, this might be the right decision to go down. There are some people in similar situations where they're not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and no matter how hard they try, it may not prove to be the best decision to stay open. So just before we get into any metrics, because we don't really need to get into you know, real detail there, what would you do different about just the structure? I know you have a two, you had a two float center and you didn't have any other modalities. You mentioned retail. Do you think that that was a contributor to you know, not being able to be successful over time or was it something else? What, what, tell us what you think about that. Um, yeah, and so with that, I think uh, having a two take center uh, we touched on this once before, but it's uh, it's a challenge. Your profit margins are small. And if you want to live off those small profits, then more power to you. But really to have a livable wage um, and have like a rewarding life, you probably need to have more than two tanks. Um, and then if you want to, uh, again, make a little bit more money, having a few more modalities would be helpful. Uh, whether it's, you know, infrared sauna, uh, massage, you know, some variable um, structure there where you're not completely dependent on a float tank. So um, I may have wanted to do that, uh, but truthfully, I think what I should have done is um, I have a neighboring city, uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico, and they have about 150,000 plus people. Uh, Los Alamos is about 20,000 people. Um, I really should have opened a float center in Santa Fe and done with the commute and opened it with like four float tanks um, to give myself the jump that would be, uh, that would give me a livable wage um, and that would be more sustainable. So um, I had the belief that I could bring something cool and rewarding to my small community and it, it did work. Um, but it was at a personal cost. So, um, yeah, so lesson learned is probably a little bit more people in a, a little bit higher uh, economic um, space um, probably would have been the best route. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. I, I, I sometimes have a difficult time talking with people who haven't started a float center yet, th them looking at the numbers and it being like, we can crush it with two float centers, excuse me, two float tanks. And it's like, well, actually, the, the reality is yeah. different than sometimes that Excel spreadsheet. And I think um, it's really yeah. interesting too, because like Azure Center grows, you know, for us, we're we're approaching three years and we have three tanks um, and a salt cave. And we just recently launched a third service, much, much smaller, but it's infrared therapy um, using a mat. And so not the sauna experience, but a lot of the same sorts of benefits. But, you know, what we've been really realizing lately is we're not big enough. Like financially, we're fine, but we're ready to grow. We'd like to add some more employees, take some of the weight off of our shoulders. Yes. And in order to do that, we're like, oh, wait, like 
we're a hundred percent capacity most days. And we're also very frugal. We like to, you know, have the money in the bank and have that security as much as we can before we make that jump. But you realize suddenly your lifestyle also is a piece that you really have to consider. And I think you really experienced this, Carlos, that um, if you don't account for that piece and that growth, but it's hard to do at the beginning when you, you really don't need four tanks in the beginning, you know, you're right. still growing the business and kind of leaving there. So I, you know, I really, I love that a lot of centers have taken the approach of starting with two or three and then plumbing, you know, for the right. fourth, yeah. leaving space mm -hmm. for that growth. We're at capacity in my center and we really, really need to grow. And we're, we're kind of like up against a wall, literally. Um, what do we do now? So, yeah. And, and the answer to that is not to open a second center always, right? <laughs> like I can attest to that. Gloria, um, what? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think there's, Gloria. I think there, it can be, but, you know, certainly mm -hmm. there's a lot of circumstances that led to the reason why that didn't work for us. But I think mm -hmm. in general, it's, it's a great uh, lesson for, for anybody just because it's uh, the economies of scale, you know, do not always supersede the, the risk that you're taking mm -hmm. and then just double the expenses um, for employees specifically, right? So Carlos, another thing that kind of popped into my head as you were talking about working full-time, did you spend every hour you weren't working full-time in the float center or did your, your ex-wife at the time, like, did you spend a full-time job there as well? Yeah, so... Yeah, that's basically how it went down is eight to five in one job um, and then five till, you know, midnight at the float center or, uh, you know, weekends, different kind of balancing pieces, um, you know, with um, my daughter at the time, she, you know, just a little tiny kid, five years old. Uh, now she's 10. So, you know, you're you're juggling with with uh, her activities as well. So all the other time, yeah, was absolutely at the center. Um, I was actually in school for some of that too. So I was doing like homework at the center. <laughs> so, you know, while people were in the float tank, you know, doing their float, there I was um, really scrounging for every a bit of extra time. So how um, would you adjust, address that particular topic? Like, would you go back and hire somebody right away or not have your full-time job? What difference would you have made there? Yeah. I mean, I think um, there's a couple of things, right? So one is maybe go at it full bore. So leave my other full-time job and really, really focus 100% on the float center. Cause like, as you all know, you really have to spend that time to drive uh, the capacity of your tanks to get people in, to get the buzz going, to maintain it. Um, and I was at like maybe 50 to 70% at any given time instead of full bore. So, you know, maybe I should have committed more, um, but ultimately I was always going to be restricted by the two tanks. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, hiring somebody, I really didn't have that runway to, um, you know, support a full-time employee to get myself out. Um, and that cuts into my revenue. And then ultimately those margins, um, you know, those profit margins I had before just get smaller and smaller and smaller where like, I don't have anything left. Um, so really like my suggestion here is, you know, two tanks, be wary unless you want to live, um, you know, at your float center all the time. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, yes. But, you know, I, I think what Kim was saying too, is, you know, you, 
you have two tanks. If you could build out for the third, uh, have space for the fourth, depending on your area, maybe even have five, six. I mean, just depends on what your, your long-term goal is. But if you have that extra space and you see uh, and you've done your homework that you might be able to grow, um, then yeah, I mean, I think having that space uh, gives you the opportunity to grow. Um, but for me, I just never had that um, opportunity, too small of a market, um, too limited. Uh, I, I didn't even have the space in my current center to have added tanks. Right. So mine was more like, let's survive, uh, let's do high volume of floats, and hopefully the community, community supports it, we can bring others in, that sort of thing. But um, yeah, it just didn't work out. So let's talk about KPIs. Gloria, what does KPI mean? So again, it's, you know, key performance indicator. Uh, it could be really anything that you're measuring in your float center or business, right? So, you know, your occupancy rate, your customer acquisition cost, there's all kinds of different things, you know, your revenue to labor uh, ratio. It just depends on what subject you're talking about. There's KPIs for everything. In Kim's case, like, she was looking at it from an HR perspective and people like human resources has certain KPIs, right? But if you're a, a business owner, you're looking at things like your, you know, revenue versus sales. Yeah. All of those, those things that you find on your financials, those are KPIs, but then they can get more microscopic as you, you know, really start to pinpoint. There's a whole set of KPIs just from marketing themselves, right? So it, it's, it's hard to kind of nail down a whole podcast on defining it because it sure. depends on what topic. So sure. I think for Carlos, you know, we, we wanted to kind of understand from you what things you started to look at financially, like just take KPIs out of it. There are certain things that you look at every day when you're running a business, whether it's running a report or running uh, your bank statements, you're starting to see things change and, you know, understanding when things change and why they're changing is really the key to success in business, right? If you're not paying attention to those things, things can kind of get out of control in a hurry if you're not, if your eyes not on the ball. So are there any things that you were kind of watching as you were coming to that decision point to, you know, help you say, yeah, I need to, you know, call this quits? Yeah. So I, I can speak to that. Um, some of it is kind of obvious, you know, you see your revenue going down. Um, and the first marker for me was occupancy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we had two tanks with X amount of um, opportunities to fill them and, you know, maybe 20% of the time they were filled. Um, so then for us, Facebook was a big driver um, to get people into the tanks. So we started seeing that uh, that wasn't really landing like it was. Um, so we started spending more money, um, throwing more to the paid ads, mm -hmm. and then the ROI on it was poor. Um, so that really wasn't grasping. So, you know, occupancy was down, Facebook ad um, costs were up, mm -hmm. uh, revenue was down. Um, and then something qualitative to, to speak to is just internal uh, friction between staff. So my ex-wife and I, we were just kind of snipping and snapping at each other. Um, I noticed it kind of changed the energy in the float center um, where maybe they witnessed something 
whether they're coming in or out of the float. Um, I always wanted to be like real conscious about the space. So didn't want to have that energy. Um, and so I noticed there was a shift there. Mm. Um, some costs, uh, you know, you have your general float supply costs, but, you know, we were cutting corners. We had to cut down maybe on the amount of, uh, you know, cleaning supplies that maybe we would or um, we would you traditionally use maybe. Um, so you start cutting corners. So you kind of notice that. Uh, that's not a big one, but I'd say basically occupancy, uh, lower revenue and spending a lot more. Um, the other thing is since we're on the fourth year, we were on the fourth year going into the fifth, uh, we weren't like the new kids on the block. Yeah, yeah. So the newness had worn down a bit and it was hard to pep everybody up to get back into the tanks. Um, and there was a little bit of a buzz of a couple of other centers uh, opening up around us. So then we had competition where we enjoyed uh, first three years without any float center competition. So people would travel to us. So we noticed that, you know, some people in the bigger city, Santa Fe, for example, and even Albuquerque, they didn't have to travel to us. So we lost that market share too. So uh, that's why I say there's some key parts where you're just like, whoa, it's just did, things are going down. <laughs> yeah. Did you see any changes in um, like membership retention? So that's an odd one. We actually saw a pretty consistent membership retention throughout. Um, and then when we announced that we were struggling a little bit, we actually gained some new members. Mm-hmm. So the people who found value in the float, I think, mm-hmm. wanted to throw their backing behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was okay, but it was never quite enough. Um, and I think our numbers, when we finally shut down, we had about 30, about 32, Mm -hmm. um, regular members, um, for our little center, that was pretty good. Um, we were pretty happy with that. Um, and I I think for smaller centers, yeah, for smaller centers, I think membership can be a double-edged sword where you, you appreciate the stability, but at the same time you're losing money because it's a discounted rate where, you know, you could be getting market rate from brand new folks walking in the door. I've talked to several, you know, one and two tank center owners who've said that like, they don't like membership. They don't want membership, you know, and we might know somebody who said (laughs) that on this podcast. Yes. Yes. And they're. Yeah, you wrestle them yeah. down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That all changed when I added the third tank. It changed mm-hmm. drastically. And you're yeah. so yeah. right about that. I operated with two tanks for the first two years, basically. And um, the, third cha- the third changed quite a bit. And it is mm-hmm. that extra, I can hire an employee now. I can, you know, I can, there's a lot of flexibility with that third tank for sure. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, there was a full episode. I was like upset yeah. with my members. It was, it was yeah. a problem. I was yeah, getting just... thinking about getting rid of it. <laughs> yeah, and we're like, no, no, no. You live and you learn, right? So, yeah. so Carlos, again, I'm trying to tie this back to things that we can learn from, right? And so, you were talking about the Facebook ads and the spend going up, and you know, the revenue going down, the occupancy going down. Did you have like? an organized way and most people don't. So I'm not expecting you to say yes, but did you have like a, your financials prepared in such a way that you could hit a button and see exactly 
what was going on day to day or did you have to kind of look in multiple places and kind of draw these conclusions uh, over multiple you know weeks and days um so actually float home uh was kind of my eyes and boots on the ground um I, i'm sure all of you use that but uh there's a lot of clever graphs that can show me my um basically my membership retention my revenue um mm -hmm. kind of everything all in one spot um and so i was able to see you know over a quarter or a year how we were doing um seeing what would land um you know with facebook ads it's actually really clever now uh you could see your graphs you could see your percentages there of of what landed on which campaign etc so i would say i kind of just had one eye on facebook what was happening there uh, but then also more or less relying on on Float Helm um, and all their clever tracking metrics there. Um, I did want to mention something about, um, you know, being in this predicament with COVID-19. Um, we had to make the decision on taking the PPP loans. Mm -hmm. And that was a big spot for us where do we want to take loans to cover loans? Uh, you know, should we stop digging? Uh, you know, like they, they always say, like, you have to recognize when you're digging that hole. And so that was kind of a, a moment too, where, where we looked at it, we're like, well, you know, we could get this money. It may take a little while, but we can cover some of these gaps, but I think we're just digging still. So, um, we applied for one PPP loan and then we just bailed. Honestly, I think they, they gave us like $10,000 or something. And it was like, uh, that wasn't enough to to do anything um and then we decided that that wasn't a good idea or a good route for us so um in the previous podcast i had with you there were like certain markers that i had noticed and there's certain signs where you're just like mm. um and this time around i had actually decided to listen to them and turns out it was probably a good decision in the end mm -hmm. were you doing any sales in during this time like when you were seeing um float rates down facebook ads were you doing discounts and sales were you pushing that um not so much mm -hmm. actually i think we pretty much stayed we didn't want to really devalue our floats Great. Yeah. too much uh, we had already chosen kind of a, a cheaper route anyway um, we launched at like 45 dollars a float um those are just 60 minute floats and then we ended up at like 49, you know, dollars a float, which was sustainable for a very long time. Mm. Um, but yeah, we never really jumped much more than that. And we didn't really do too many discounts, uh, even when we were struggling. Uh, we tried to communicate to our mailing list about what was going on and just trying to remind them the value of the float. And, you know, if they wanted us to stick around, then the best way to do that is to come and float with us, yeah. you know, like the obvious thing, but, um, COVID-19 for us, like really just spooked everybody out. Right. Um, it was difficult for us to break through that, uh, like last summer. And as you know, in the summer, it's hard to fill the tanks sometimes anyway, because mm -hmm. everybody wants to be outside. So mm -hmm. <laughs> the virus on top of that compounded things. Mm -hmm. So we were, we, we were caught floundering. That's why I said we were throwing more money at the ads. We were being more creative. Uh, it just didn't matter because the the environment around us was uh, just not sustainable for us. 
Um, I, I want to start wrapping things up a little bit here. I know Drew has another question he'd love to ask you, though. Yeah. yeah. Carlos, looking back, it sounds like you came to a point where you had to try some things and then, um, you know, just life was happening at the same time. And it, it seemed kind of like a perfect storm to, to make the decision to close your shop. But looking back, do you think there were things prior to when you actually closed? Like, were you grasping at straws? Do you think that you could have done it a few months earlier looking back? Or do you think it just timed out for you the way everything worked out? You, you know, were you, do you think looking back, hey, I could have done this probably three or four months earlier than, than when I did. And I, I probably would have been a little better off. Or do you think it, it worked out as well as it could have? Like you, you tried to keep it afloat and it just didn't work out. And then the timing with COVID and you just said, okay, I've done everything I can. Looking back, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think it's just stubbornness, to be perfectly honest with you. You, you spend so much time designing your center. Uh, you spend so much time learning how to operate and you know provide a service, and you just don't want to let it go. So you get into this space where you can't, it's like a tunnel vision, you can't see it. Uh, you see revenue going down, occupancy going down, and it's a point where you go, do I want to accept this or do I boost that Facebook ad? Um, and so to answer your question, yeah, I mean, I think I probably could have bailed pre-COVID, uh, maybe a year before, um, to be perfectly honest, but um, you're stubborn. You know, you always look into the next day and you're thinking, you know, tomorrow will be better. And you get a bunch of sales or you get high occupancy mm -hmm. and you're like, here we go. And it's sustainable and then it falls or, you know, you run into different things. But for me, I think it's just like an acceptance of, of uh, where I was and where I wanted to be. And then it just came down to uh, COVID said, no, it's over for you. And I didn't see a way out. So I had to pull the trigger and just call it a day. That's really interesting. And I, I think that there are probably people out there who have been stressing out for a number of months, if not year plus, if they were already struggling pre-COVID. And I work by myself. So I know that struggle of working all of the hours and not having a life outside of that. And I could see where that would be a very difficult decision. And, and even just the fact that you have to say those words, time to close, there's a lot that goes into that, I think, psychologically, right? You don't yeah, want to seem like you, it didn't work out. You didn't, you know, for the, like you failed, right? Like that's, right. I could see that, that failure being a thing. And sometimes it's, a step back can get you a couple steps forward in life. And it's hard when you're part of the community and it's, there's a lot of unknowns that go along with that. And so I don't know what those answers are, but it's interesting to hear you say, I, I was thinking you would say a couple of months and you, right. were, you said a year, yeah. like that's really interesting to hear. And I'm sure there are people in that similar situation that are faced with a tough decision like that. Yeah. I, I think for me, the, my unique part on this was I was never really worried about failing. And I know a lot of people could be concerned about that and closing their float center is literally the end of the world and they're devastated. But for me, going into something so strange and floaty, 
was already like a risk. And I was like, I have no idea how this is going to go. <laughs> I was like, I could close in a year. I could close in six months. We're going to give it a shot. So having that perspective going in was helpful. Um, I think if I had put all my eggs in the basket, um, like I said earlier, and quit my job and been full bore, then it would have been way more um, traumatizing um, oh, and devastating. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I was, I had a little bit of a parachute with my other job, admittedly. So I knew that things would be somewhat okay. Uh, the scary part was the bankruptcy because it's, you know, the naughty word. Uh, now that I've gone through that and the LLC is dissolved, I get it now. It's not so scary. So anybody out there who's scared about that um, and they have like an LLC and it's, you know, tied to a certain thing. I mean, I'm on Facebook. I'm happy to talk to you about this, but, um, you know, it's not as scary uh, now that I'm through the looking glass, if you will. Um, but yeah, you know, those are, those are things that I had in mind. Um, but um, really, I think I was just lucky that I wasn't too concerned about the failure. Um, but I know that that could be an issue for a lot of people. Absolutely. And, and I feel for those folks, definitely. You have a tremendous attitude. You did the last time you were on and uh, we really appreciate you being so transparent and, you know, making it, you know, very real to discuss these things that, you know, a lot of people have been uh, struggling with. So thank you so much for uh, coming on and sharing. And thanks for sharing the the positive future that's possible as well. Yeah. Right? Sometimes I feel concerned with the podcast that we're just saying how to make it work. And um, I know I've, we have talked about it before that it is okay to let go and that there can be a beautiful life after closing down your float center that is totally acceptable and could be the right choice for so many people, for any business. And if I may, uh, Carlos, you're an entrepreneur. You take risks, right? And that's yeah. something we all do. Do you ever see yourself... Uh, starting another business in the future would you be opposed to it um i wouldn't be opposed to it <laughs> i i think i'm just a risk taker like that um i mean i think like this getting into this ultra running thing it's like you know we'll see where it goes it's it's painful sometimes it's rewarding at other times just like a business um but i do want to thank all of you for bringing me back because before I was calling in today, I was thinking, you know, this is like a real cathartic experience. I can kind of, uh, you know, put a put a bow on this, call it a day. Awesome. Uh, I'm still in the float collective, so I'm snooping around a little bit. Um, every now and again, there's some little rookies that are making little rookie mistakes, which is fun because I'm like, oh, I remember that. Um, but also, it's it's good to see kind of how it's waxing and waning, but still very much thriving. So thanks to all of you for you know you know, keeping things afloat, literally. And, and I appreciate uh, being back here. Yay. Thanks. I'm so glad that we could be part of that bow. That's awesome. Thank you, Carlos. Always float, yeah. fam. Thank Always. you, Carlos. Yeah. I'm just going to give a, a few thanks here. One is thanks to Helmbot. As I mentioned at the top of the show, these guys have extremely positive reviews and they would love your reviews as well. So on today's show notes, we do have a few different links. If you want to throw support at Helmbot, you can leave one, two, or, you know, multiple reviews on different sites uh, for Helmbot. And uh, thanks so much to Isopod. Thanks so much to Mindful Solutions. And thanks to Olga for producing the show. Thank you so, so, so much. Even though it's hard to work with us, 
And beyond <laughs> that, thanks to everybody for listening in, hearing Carlos's story, not just tonight, but the whole arc of Carlos's story uh, through multiple episodes. And thanks to everybody supporting us on Patreon. Patreon forward slash Art of the Float is where you can go if you want to check that out. And let's see here. I think, I think that's it. Carlos, how old are you? I am 39. 39. Great. Well, until next time, remember, you could be at your hottest at 39. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.